Hello, I'm Dr Laura Williams and you're listening to Know Your Own Psychology. After many years building a successful career as a psychologist, I finally realised that it didn't reflect the autonomy and freedom I wanted in both my life and work. As I made plans to begin working for myself, my husband died suddenly and my whole world fell apart. But with a young family to look after and big dreams I did not want to give up on, I took some time and in the middle of the global pandemic, I left my old life behind. Today, I'm a private psychologist, digital course creator, mum to five and best-selling author. My mission is to simplify psychological ideas so that you can know your own psychology, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose. Are you ready to be empowered? This is Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. Hi folks and welcome to episode one of Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to you about something that I find incredibly interesting. Firstly, because it's something that my one-to-one therapy clients will talk to me about on an almost weekly, if not daily basis. And secondly, because it's not actually clinically diagnosable. What am I talking about? It's imposter syndrome. Now, I bet many of you listening will have heard of it before. You may even know bits about it, and I bet some of you will have experienced it. But The reason why imposter syndrome is so fascinating to me is because, as I said at the beginning, it isn't actually something that has been listed as any type of psychological disorder. So unlike things like anxiety or depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, for example, that have an agreed set of criteria that clinicians like myself will look to to understand whether the person who they're working with actually has that difficulty, imposter syndrome is not like that. Now, it was coined in 1978 by Dr. Pauline Clance and Dr. Suzanne Imes, who had noticed that their female students um, were really doubting their own abilities. And after that research came out, it then became much more societally accepted as a concept. And That sort of coincided with, in the late 70s and early 80s, with a move towards many more women entering the workforce. And I don't think that's coincidental. Now, while I'm not keen to genderize this as an issue, I do know anecdotally that most of the um, clients that I have are women, and most of them Um, will have experienced this at some point or another. Um, They might not necessarily know that that is what it is, um, but they will speak about it. Um, So today I'm going to be talking to you about it. We're going to have a think about what it actually is. We will think about um, how it might manifest in your life and the areas in which it might manifest. I may even talk to you about some of the areas in which I myself have experienced imposter syndrome. And lastly, we will talk about some solutions. And I also have a great recommendation on a book by another clinical psychologist who has laid out um, almost a treatment plan that you can work through on a self-help basis. So all of that is coming. Okay, so let's dive in and start with what actually is imposter syndrome? So it's essentially the idea of feeling like you are a fraud. 
It is doubting our own abilities to perform well. You might be saying things to yourself like, I don't feel like I should be here. Um, I'm totally undeserving of this, you know, whether it's in your job, whatever it happens to be. It's almost that sense of, oh my God, someone is literally going to find me out. And when they do, I'm going to get sacked or they're going to realise I don't actually know anything at all and that I can't do what they think that I can do. I mean, imagine like how that feels on a daily basis going into your job role with that sort of underlying your performance. You know, I can't imagine if you've experienced that for years and not really understood where it's coming from, how difficult and debilitating that can be in your career. And my own sort of sense of that is that even though as a clinical psychologist, I have a number of degrees under my belt, I've passed lots of exams, I've done clinical practice and that's been observed and scrutinised and passed, that actually maybe I'm not very good at all. Maybe I don't know anything at all and that I can't be helping people in the way that I think I am. And the trouble with imposter syndrome is that what it serves to do is to keep us small. It pushes us down and it stops us from asking for what we need in our job roles and our lives. It stops women in their career paths asking for promotions, asking for pay rises, believing that they're capable of the next rung of the ladder or the next project that they're really interested in. And so they pass themselves over without ever asking the question of, can I do that? And where this gets really interesting for me in the work that I do as a psychologist um, is that I believe imposter syndrome starts all the way back years before any of these experiences as an adult in our childhoods. Okay, and for those of you who followed me for a long time, you know um, a bit about my take on trauma. But what I'll say about this is, I believe that the messaging and the relational interactions that we are exposed to as children have an absolutely profound effect on how we feel about ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, and what we believe we're capable of. And so, of course, imposter syndrome can have its roots way back then. Now, maybe you've never done any work on those things. Maybe you don't really know um, what the messages have been. But keep listening and see if any of this makes sense to you. You know, I think that conditioning that we're exposed to can have an impact in so many areas of our life. And it's important that we think about those things because of the impact that they can have. Now, One of the other key reasons why I wanted to do an episode on imposter syndrome is because of its prevalence. So there was a study published in 2011 which estimated that about 70% of people will experience imposter syndrome at one time or another in their lives. And so it's common. It's not something that just one or two people experience. It is something that many people are walking about in their daily lives experiencing. And just for a second, imagine, you know, let's take your job role, for instance. Imagine that you are feeling like an imposter going to work every day. And what that can lead to, what we know it can lead to, because the research has told us this, is that when we feel like an imposter, we will experience higher levels of anxiety and we will experience higher levels of self-doubt 
and worry. Now, let me ask you, what do you think happens to your work performance, your job performance, whatever the area happens to be, if you are living it and working through these things under those circumstances? So higher levels of anxiety, higher levels of self-doubt and worry. Well, the answer is that you're not going to perform as well as if you had been calm, if you had been grounded and feeling confident in your capabilities. And so what happens is it becomes self-fulfilling. We might see the mistakes that we're making when we're highly anxious, stressed and worried. And then we take that as our confirmation that actually we were right that we aren't as capable as we thought we were, that we were not as good at our job. And that's just not true. What's happening is that your levels of anxiety, your levels of self-doubt and worry are literally leading to those issues. So we literally can't perform in the same way. And yeah, I think when we understand this, we can become more aware of how we can help ourselves in those situations not to get pulled down and not to keep ourselves limited. Now, the other thing that I think it's important to understand about imposter syndrome is that it can also lead us to go down a couple of different routes. One of the things I see with my clients is it leads them to over-preparation. Okay, so I'll give you an example of this. So a male client of mine was going for a job interview um, a number of weeks ago now, and he had sat down and prepared for hours and hours, written out screeds and screeds of text um, and thought about questions that he might be asked. And in many respects, preparation is helpful, right? Of course it is. It helps us to, um, you know, understand what the situation that we're going into might be like. It helps us visualise and I'm a big proponent of visualisation as a way to help yourself um, for future events. However, when that tips over into rumination and worry, it can just be unhelpful. So this podcast, um, for example, so I had done some lots of preparation. I had read um, a couple of books on the topic um, and it would be tempting for me to have lots and lots of things written out and just be reading it from a, a sheet of paper. However, it just wouldn't make for a good podcast. It would be very clear to people that I was reading something and it would be, you know, difficult to engage with because of that. And so instead I've got dot points and things that I think, yeah, I really need to cover this. But I just want you to think about that. Like where has um, imposter syndrome and those worries and self, um, you know, self-doubts led you to over-preparing in a way that was unhelpful? Okay, now... The other thing that it can do is lead to procrastination. Um, this is me for sure. So I don't necessarily do the over-preparation. Um, I'm more likely to procrastinate. And I very much identify as a perfectionistic procrastinator. Um, as a caveat, that's also not a clinical term, <laughs> but it's something that definitely resonates with me. And so I have this need um, for everything to be just right. Okay, um, I just want everything to be perfect before I'll go ahead and do something. And that doesn't lead to me over-preparing. Um, what that leads me to do instead is just avoid. 
Okay, so those fears and worries about who am I to be taking up this space? Who am I to be doing a podcast on imposter syndrome when I haven't got, you know, a research project in it? Who am I to, to do this work? And so it pulls you in the direction of negativity um, and then you procrastinate because you want everything to be perfect. And again, unhelpful. It's not going to help you um, reach your goals. Um, and so it's important to understand a little bit about yourself. Maybe, maybe you do both of those things um, depending on the circumstances. So yeah, just one to think about. I was thinking before I started recording about the areas of my life in which I have experienced imposter syndrome. And so I'll have a, I'll say a few words about that. Um, and I wonder if this will resonate with some of you. Um, the first example that came to mind when I was thinking about feeling like an imposter was as a mother and particularly as a first time mother. So I had my daughter, who's now nine, nine um, back in 2013. And I remember distinctly um, those sort of early days after coming home from hospital. And I'm sure many of you will have experienced this too, but the health visitor comes in and just checks baby and checks mum and asks some questions. And one of the things that they do to... Um, screen for things like postnatal depression and um, whether you're sort of generally coping with things is they give you some psychometrics and what those are are just questionnaires designed to work out you know how anxious you are or how your mood is doing but I'm a psychologist <laughs> and I've seen these scales and I've seen these um, questionnaires day in day out in my work for years and years and so I remember distinctly thinking, I don't want to come across as that I'm not coping. And so I'm sure that my um, answers weren't quite as reflective as they could have been. Because at the same time as doing that, I was worrying that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't maternal enough, that I, you know, all the things about... Um, even sort of later down the line with my daughter when she was weaning, thinking I'm not using enough organic, you know, vegetables and all this kind of... And there's so many parameters under which we um, try to fit ourselves into this box of being a mother. Um, and I just remember having that really sort of um, distinct experience of wanting to look like I was doing okay where, while perhaps not being as okay as I presented um, and I think that's probably quite a common a common experience for folk. And the next example, um, which I've shared a little bit about, was within my career. And psychology is one of those careers in which there are certain standards set um, for you within academics and professionalism and in how you engage with your clients. And I think it's very easy under circumstances like that to worry that you're not quite meeting the standards um, and to believe that you're not good enough. But again, nobody particularly wants to be vulnerable in that space because, you know, if you're vulnerable and say that you don't think that you're meeting the standard, you worry that people will believe that of you and then that you won't meet the goal. 
And my goal for a very long time was to be a qualified clinical psychologist. And it's not until I got there um, that I realised just how much I had conformed and tried to fit in and do the right thing, whatever that is, in order to, to get here. So I wonder if you resonate with that in your own career. You can see where you've, you know, maybe perhaps not always felt good enough, but not wanted to share that with your colleagues or your superiors, whatever. And the last example um, that came up for me was, and this one's a bit more difficult to articulate, but was feeling like I didn't fit in or that I wasn't the same or that I was a fraud within groups of women. And I think this crosses different um, spheres of our life, you know, either as a mum in the school playground, um, within your work, within certain groups of friends, you know, maybe feeling just a bit different from other women and not really feeling sure why. And I'm also not sure that that was right. I think many of us probably experience that and we stay quiet about it. But if we were to share a bit more and be vulnerable, we would sort of know that many of us experience that and feel like we're a bit different or that we don't fit in. Tell me about that as well. Like if you, if this resonates with you and it's meaningful to you, I'd love to hear from you. What I want to do before we um, finish up is two things. I want to talk you through some solutions and ways that I think might be helpful for you to face this head on and address it. And I also have a fabulous book recommendation from another clinical psychologist for you if you would like to do some work on this. So let's think about the solutions first. So the first thing to say is that I believe that the past is absolutely fundamental to any psychological work that you do. Okay, now you may have been to therapy before, you may have had some counselling before, but if you haven't addressed some of the past and where these things begin and originate, I don't think you're going to make the headway that you hope for. Um, so it's about thinking around the conditioning, as I said before, the messaging and those relational interactions that have set down our beliefs um, that we take into adult life that we need to think about first and foremost. And when we have that formulation, then we can think about sort of behavioural change and action. Okay, so the first solution that I wrote down and was thinking about was just simple cognitive reframing. So what are your thoughts and get them written down? So we talked at the beginning about, you know, some of the thoughts might be, I'm not good enough. Okay, let's get that written down. And then we think about what's the reframe to that? Um, I advocate writing down things to my clients um, all the time. I think it's too easy for us to stay in our heads and for thoughts to just swirl around and feel really chaotic and that we can't make any headway um, with them. But the minute that we write it down and we become more intentional, we can almost see it um, in a way that we can work with it with more ease. So I really recommend writing things down. Then once you've got them written down, you're going to go through them and reframe each of them. Okay. Um, and, you know, cognitive reframing is a strategy that I think is really pivotal and fundamental to much of the work that psychologists do. Um, and so maybe I'll do an episode on that just individually. But for now, cognitive reframing, writing down your thoughts, thinking about that differently and getting that written down at the side of that. Okay, second solution, find ways to limit your procrastination. 
Okay, so um, I'll give you an example for this podcast. So I have procrastinated on this podcast for far too long, probably because it's a solo episode and I'm not, I've not got a guest to sort of lean on. Um, and so what I did today was said, right, this is the time that I have set aside for doing this and I'm going to do it today. I gave myself a couple of retakes and then I said, right, that's it, no more. I have to just keep recording. Even if there's um, mistakes within it, I'm just going to keep recording and not hit stop. So it's just finding the solutions for you. Perhaps it's time blocking, perhaps it's other things, but just not procrastinating um, and getting things done, the things that you worry about, the tasks that you think, oh, I'm not good enough to achieve that task. Because done is better than perfect. And that is something that I use a lot in my business. Um, And I think if you, you know, use that as a mantra, it will help push you forward. Solution number three, practice receiving positive feedback. Um, one of the things that was in the research was that people will often discount the positive feedback that they get. So we essentially are um, filtering things out and only listening to the one negative piece of feedback that we get, perhaps in work, for example. Um, and so it's important that you start to um, accept the positive feedback when it comes by acknowledging it and saying thank you. And also just by giving yourself positive feedback intrinsically. So I think it's often helpful for you when you're doing certain things to um, ask yourself some questions. So what are the things that I did well? What are the things that I can work on? Not what I've done badly, but what can I work on for next time? And thirdly, what are the things that I'll need to remember for next time? And all of that helps you um, sort of push yourself on, push your skills on, and also give yourself some positive feedback in the process. So just get really good at that. (laughs) And I think that will help. Solution number four is trying to remember what you've done that confirms that the place that you find yourself in as a mother, in your career, whatever it happens to be, that it wasn't just blind luck, okay? We can be really bad at realistically appraising our skills and achievements. And if I think about, you know, my skills now and the ease with which I can sit with a one-to-one client, assess their situation, formulate a psychological understanding and develop a treatment plan and work with them on that week to week, There's a level of ease that comes with that for me now, but that wasn't always the case. And so once we've been, you know, in a place of relative ease with what we're doing, we're often really bad at remembering how far we've come and appraising our skills and achievements realistically. So I would encourage you to do that more. Why is it not blind luck that you're in your job right now? How do you know that you're a good mum and what's the feedback that your kids give you every day? You know, I'm sure there's many other examples, but those are two that just spring to mind. The fifth solution that I've written down is seeking support from someone. Now, if you remember, I said um, earlier that the 2011 study estimated 70% of people have experienced this. So chances are, if you reach out to someone, either in your personal um, friends and family network or your support networks within work with peers chances are you're going to find someone who's been through this before and they might have some help something helpful um, to suggest or to tell you about it 
Okay, so those are my five solutions uh, to imposter syndrome and I'd love to hear what you think of those and if you try them. Okay, lastly, what I should tell you about is one of the books that I read um, to prepare for this episode is called The Imposter Cure and it's written by another clinical psychologist, Dr. Jessamy Hibbard. And so I would absolutely recommend it. It's laid out as um, almost imparting the knowledge and then giving you some practical things to do and ways to um, assess how you're doing with it. And so she um, talks about her book being a solution to stop feeling like a fraud and escape the mind trap of imposter syndrome. And on her cover is lovely, the front cover is lovely. And she says, you are not a fraud, you deserve success and you can believe in yourself. And so I think that's the way to leave it today. Um, I hope this has been helpful to you. I will post the um, link to um, Dr. Jessamy Hibbard's book in the show notes for today's episode. And yeah, just thanks for joining me. See you next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Know Your Own Psychology. If you loved it, please share it on Facebook or Instagram for your friends and family. And if you really want to help me out, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, you can email me hello at drlaurawilliams.com and if you would like to know your own psychology better, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose, come and join my growing community over on Facebook. Search Know Your Own Psychology and make a request.